This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host, Matt Addison, with Paul Gorst and Theo Squires alongside me as we look ahead to the huge fixture at Anfield this weekend against Manchester City and take a quick look back at that incredibly impressive Champions League victory over Porto midweek. We'll start with that win in Portugal, which puts Liverpool in a very handy position in Group B, Gorsty, after two games have been played. But I think there's only one place that we can start. That is the performance of Curtis Jones. Is that a coming-of-age performance for him, do you think? Or is that maybe doing a disservice to some of the performances he's already put in for Liverpool? Um, a bit of both, I think. Um, he was he was super, wasn't he, on the night, particularly second half. The um, the thing that I liked most about it, which kind of summed up his entire night's work, was Liverpool's second goal, where um, I think it might be Allison with the goal kick. Long goal kick, and, and Jones races over to pretty much the halfway line, and nine out of ten players probably wouldn't have the touch to keep the ball in play, and he manages to get the ball down the line first time, keep it in play, Liverpool go up the other end and score just before half-time, and, and the game is pretty much you know, done and dusted there and then from, from Mane's tapping, and he had a hand in pretty much every goal, didn't he? Obviously, Chef Firmino away for, for the um, fourth, was it? Um, and then the fifth, um, it was his shot. He obviously, his shot to set Salah up, the keeper pounded in, into Salah's path. So, um, he's had a big hand in all the goals and he's just pretty much ran the show from midfield. So, um, yeah, I can see what you mean in terms of coming in of, of age performance. Uh, but I do think that might do a little bit of a disservice to other performances as well, you know, Everton in the Cup when he was one of the, um, you know, he obviously got the winner, but he, he was a, almost a bit of a leader in a pretty young team. I think he might have had Lalande and, and Milner for company, the experienced pros, but he, he kind of took that game by the scuff of the neck and he was obviously captain for the night when they beat Shrewsbury and, and you know, he was the most experienced player out there that night. So he's had plenty of, of big moments um, already in, in his young Liverpool career. Look back at the win a goal against Ajax last year in the Champions League. And um, yeah, Klopp seems to be keen to get this message out that it's all about consistency now with him. You know, he keeps challenging them, go and do it again. More of the same. Can you do it again? Uh, and hopefully that message sinks in and um, we start to see those kind of performances um, on a regular basis. Because I think now looking at it, uh, he's certainly ahead of Cater in the pecking order. And Oxley Chamberlain, maybe not Thiago yet. And, and if Thiago um, is fit after the international break, then could be something for Klopp to look at further in terms of the selection. But I think he's absolutely played his way into that midfield on Sunday, yeah. I think we saw a little bit, Theo, of why I quite like him on the, the left-hand side of a, a front three. He sort of took up those positions quite frequently against Porto. But I suppose if he can do that and also do the defensive work, not that there was a great deal of that to do on Tuesday night, but you see what I mean in terms of, of playing in that midfield position and doing that and doing all of the other bits. That's exactly what Jurgen Klopp wants from him, isn't it? Yeah, it's one where you look at him and got a bit of everything doesn't he like you don't want to compare him to any big legends or anything like that but we've seen him play a number of roles already in his young career and he's shown so many attributes and it's one where perhaps Liverpool are lacking that sort of midfielder that gets forward and can be involved in the play so much but he's always an exciting player and it was one where we were hyping him up so much when he was 
standing out for Liverpool, probably middle of last season. And he was unfortunate to lose his place at the business end of the season when Klopp went for experience to get into the race to the top four. And you think you start this season and it felt like he was almost bottom of the midfield pecking order. And I'm sure it would have been a bit harsh on him as well when you think Harvey Elliott's come in and he was the new darling and the new starlet everyone was getting excited about. And this one where Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott, if they had them in a midfield in a few years' time, either side of Fabinho, how exciting is that going to be? Like, granted, it might not be a trio you can play against a Manchester City, but the fact that both of them on the ball, they can get forward, they can get stuck into challenges, they can pick passes, they can offer goals. It's just, Liverpool have got another one, haven't they? Curtis Jones is such a great talent. And as Gorsty said, it's all about consistency now. But he was one of the best performers against Bradford. He was the best performer against Porto. Could this be the start of him taking that next step? And it's, it's what you want to see from him. And it's what Liverpool need at that time. Like We've always had that debate for a good few months now. Do Liverpool need a replacement for Genie Wijnaldum? Well, if Harvey Elliott can come back from injury and reach the form he did before the injury, and Curtis Jones can find that consistency, no, they do not, because they've got two very talented young players here that could easily be part of a mid- Liverpool midfield for, what, the next five, ten years. He wasn't the only one to, to stand out, Gorsi. There was a few good performances. Two more goals for Mohamed Salah, which I think takes him one behind Steven Gerrard in the all-time Liverpool Champions League goals list. It's another game, another reminder, just a, another week where I'm asking a, a very similar question, mm-hmm. really, as if we needed another reminder of how good Mohamed Salah is. He's edging closer to another Liverpool legend. Yeah, it's just, just records left and right, isn't it, where Mo Salah's concerned and... Um... I was writing a piece about him this week, actually, and it was almost fitting that for all these records that he's taken and he's broken at Liverpool, he was a record-breaker before he even joined, wasn't he? When you think back to Liverpool paid the fee to break the record that was held by Andy Carroll at the time. So um, he pretty much started Liverpool career as as he's carried on. And, and every game now you're talking about a new record. Um, you mentioned Steven Gerrard there. He'll take that warning. You wouldn't be surprised if he's taken that before the end of the group stages, to be honest. Um, and I look at him now, and I'm, and I'm thinking, um, at the start, since the start of the season, is he the best player in Europe at the moment? Eight goals in, in eight games, three in the Champions League, five in the Premier League, Liverpool at the top of both groups. He's the main man. Uh, obviously, Lionel Messi is, I think we might all agree on this, that he's probably the greatest player that, we've ever seen but you know judging from form at the start of the season for me Salah is um seems to be head and shoulders above um pretty much everyone in Europe so um we're just privileged to, uh, that we get to watch him aren't we so yeah um more of the same on Sunday for Mo and uh, Liverpool can ride off into the international break with a, uh, a massive result. I was really impressed with James Milner at right-back as well, Theo. I thought it was another pretty good impression of of Trent Alexander-Arnold from him. And we'll speak a little bit more a bit later on in terms of the Manchester City game and and what that means. But just in terms of that Porto performance, it was uh, another really good uh, good showing from a 35-year-old that that looks about 25. Yeah, James Milner never lets you down, does he? And it's one where I think last couple of seasons where he's not played as much as he would have liked, He's picked up these little niggles and got injuries and you think, oh, maybe he's starting to slow down. Maybe age is catching up on him. His contract's up next summer. But then this is just the perfect response to it. He's gone out and he's put in a couple of great performances and you think, oh, he's definitely still got so much to give to Liverpool. Like in the past, you'd say, well, maybe you just 
see if he wants to become a part of the coaching staff because we know how much he does behind the scenes. We know how much he offers the younger players, but he still has so much to give on the pitch. And one of the my best bits about the Porto game was wasn't it another assist, wasn't it, for the second goal? And he's the list of players he's got more Champions League assists than because helped mainly by that amazing season he had when they reached the final when he seemed to be setting up a goal every single game. But he's one of those players that steps up for the big occasions and you'd have no doubt about him playing against Manchester City at the weekend. He always seems to rise his game against them anyway because it's his former club. But yeah, it's just great to see him getting, do we call it yet another Indian summer? Because he seems to be doing this every so often. But long may it continue because if he's doing this at 35 and we know he's what one of the fittest players at the squad anyway, um, we could be talking about him still going strong. Maybe not at Liverpool, but in the Premier League when he's pushing 40. Yeah, still plenty to come from him. And that sort of ties in with the, the next point, really, Gorsty, in that Jurgen Klopp spoke after Porto about wanting his defence to put right the mistakes that they made against Brentford. And I suppose in, in that regard, they didn't have a huge amount of defending to do, but it was important to put in that performance ahead of City because obviously we know how important momentum is, particularly for this Liverpool team. Yeah, um, I think so. I think, um, I mean, you look at it and you think Porto were really, really poor on the night, but I think Liverpool made them look poor, to be honest. You know, this is a team that were unbeaten in 18 before um, Tuesday night, and um, Liverpool's unbeaten record stretches back to March, and, and I think that is only 17 games now. So they, they've been in great form for a good while, really, haven't they? Uh, I think that the last defeat was when Chelsea knocked them out it, and in the first leg. I think Porto might have won the second leg of that, possibly 1-0. Um, so, they're, they're a good team and they're at, they were at home um, and Liverpool didn't give them an inch, did they? Um, obviously, we can talk a little bit about a bit of a hapless goalkeeping performance from Diogo Costa, who I think he threw in about three of them, but Liverpool just absolutely ruthless, put the foot on the next when, when it was time to do it and it was a bit of a throwback performance to 17-18 when Liverpool just had that little burst to take the game away from teams and, and that was what we saw in the second half um, their goal didn't flatter them at all did it and then as the game was waiting on they, they really have turned it up and, and scored the fourth and the fifth so it was good to see that kind of desire and um, just willingness not to take the foot off the gas they really you know Klopp made the five changes but didn't really disrupt the performance he just carried on carried on and in the end they've um they've absolutely hammered the team who were in massively good form so um yeah full credit to them because that was a that was a big statement performance on tuesday night yeah six points from six now in the champions league five more points than porto in third place liverpool don't tend to do things the easy way and there are back-to-back games now against uh, atletico madrid to, to come through theo but they couldn't really be in a better place. And it would be a big boost if they could get through to the knockout phase without having to play a strong team for, for all six of those group games. Yeah, that's always a benefit if you can get it done early. Um, with Liverpool, I suppose we've almost forgotten how good they are because of the pandemic behind, playing behind closed doors. And You can go back to when they were playing Atletico last a couple of years ago when they weren't able to play to the their best of their abilities. And you, you thought, looked at this group and on paper, it is really tough. There are big names in there and all of them away days are going to be tough, horrible games. But when Liverpool are on form, showing what they can do, they, they can beat anyone, not just they're a match for anyone. They can beat anyone. That's why they were the European champions. That's why they're the Premier League champions. It's like, well, if they're in this form, 
Atletico Madrid away doesn't look as intimidating as it would have done when the draw was made. Um, they've not had the best start to it either. They, they had to get, what was it, a last-minute winner against uh, Milan, and that was playing against 10 men for what must have been something like an hour. So it's like Liverpool very much team in form in this group. And it's one where if you're still unbeaten after four games, you say, well, Liverpool are through there. And it's not even the case of having to go proper week for games here because they've got so many strong players in reserve who can come in and take their opportunities. Like it was a surprise to see Origi start against AC Milan, but he did really well there. Obviously, with you being able to make five substitutions, we're given a glimpse of uh, Oxide Chamberlain, Minamino in midweek. So, like, well, players there, they've got a chance to stake their claim, and European football is probably the best place for them to do it. So, you just want Liverpool to get the results done and uh, put those ghosts from Atletico Madrid a couple of years ago behind them and say, yep, we are one of the teams that can win this because you can current form. We're talking about. Um, Salah's the best player in Europe on form at the moment. Well, Liverpool must be one of the best teams in Europe on form at the moment because Barcelona, Real Madrid, they're not what they were. You're looking at what PSG and Bayern Munich as maybe the favourites for Champions League, Man City as well. Well, Liverpool right up there in that conversation from what we've seen so far. Yeah, one big game to come after another for Liverpool. So we will move on to Manchester City very shortly. But just before we do that, I wanted to mention the passing of Roger Hunt earlier in the week, Liverpool's record league goalscorer. None of us are anywhere near old enough, Gorsley, to remember him playing, but he's a name that people will know and will have come across plenty of times. I'm sure there'll be a remembrance at Anfield on Sunday. And he is a true Liverpool legend. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, you know, you look at um, you look at the names who've played for Liverpool Football Club over the you know 130 years of history or whatever it is, and so many great names, isn't there? You know, Ian Rush, Kenny Dalglish, Robbie Fowler, Kevin Keegan. You can go on, you can name them all, and I'm sure Roger Hunt, as he was known by the cop, is, is right up there alongside any of them, isn't he? Um, he's actually only second to Ian Rush in, in the number of goals, and he's got the the record for most league goals, I think, 246, possibly. Um, just, you know, obviously before our time, but uh, one of the main men when Liverpool were kind of in the Shankly revolution, um, starting to become a force. And um, it's just very sad, isn't it? It's been quite a, a sad time for the club, really, across the last 18 months, two years, when you think of the likes of Ray Clements and Gerard Houllier, Ian St. John, and, and now Roger Hunt. Um, yeah, some of these great names of the past um, leaving us. But, uh, yeah, some, some great memories, I'm sure. And obviously, as we say, too, we're all too young to remember him at his best. But, um, Theo, you, you had a chance to, to speak to him. And you're probably one of his final ever interviews, actually, at the, was at the beginning of last year. And um, one of the things that keeps coming back when you, you hear people talk about Roger Hunt was how much of a gentleman he was. And um, that seems to be a common theme and, and I'm sure it's something that you could vouch for as well. Yeah, with Roger, it's one where he's not been well for a number of years and he had already basically retired from these public appearances. And so I, it was really lucky that I was able to go and do this interview and it wasn't lost to me at all. Like you think this would have been December, January, like round the pan before the pandemic when it was starting across the globe. So if this had been two months later, I wouldn't have got the chance to meet Roger Hunt. But obviously, we know my Bolton past. Roger Hunt's a Bolton Wanderers fan. He idolised that loft house. So you've got my love, Paul Inks, and you know how much a legend he is there. And then I spent four years at Bolton Wanderers, and that's a real family club, and they're talking about legends here and how they idolised Roger Hunt as well. 
I think I met him once at a Bolton game, and he was such a gent there. Um, came on and did the the lotteries draw on the pitch. He's posing for pictures for everyone. He's just part of the family there, and that's how I was made to feel when I went and did this interview. Like it was just before Christmas time. Um, they're getting Christmas cards in. The chocolates are all out. The decorations are up. And I just felt like I was a grandkid going to see my grandparents. Um, him and his wife, Rowan, made me feel so welcome. And it wasn't one where you just ask him questions like you would a normal interview. It's just dictaphone on and just having a conversation. And I must have been there for a good hour, hour and a half, um, getting what I needed for this piece. And then they, they took me upstairs to look at his study where he had a picture on the wall. I think that the Echo had gifted him for his testimonial um, there was a picture from the 66 World Cup and that was one of his favourites because the scoreboard, it was a manual one. And I think England had gone 2-1 up in the final, but the guy changing the scoreboard, it still said 1-0 because he was celebrating. I think it was Martin Peters scoring the goal. And um, and you got all these pictures of the famous faces like Ian Rush. I think there'd have been like Sir Alex Ferguson, all this, like all these people that Roger Hunt has met because it's not just a Liverpool legend football's lost. It's an England legend too. And it is one of the all-time greats. You think of uh, the few players that have won the World Cup, English players that have won the World Cup. And he was right there. Like, we lost Jimmy Greaves only a couple of weeks ago. And the, the talk of that was how he was unfortunate not to start in that World Cup final because Jeff Hurst had come in. But even though we don't remember him, it's not a case of, oh, Roger Hunt was lucky to keep his place. Like Jeff Hurst came in and he took the headlines with the hat trick and scoring in the earlier rounds. But Roger played such a huge role in the group stages as well. And it's just, it, I could have listened to him all day just talking about the likes of Bill Shankly uh, winning the World Cup. And just even when he was talking about current football, when he's like talking about how Jamie Vardy is one of his favourite players. Uh, granted, I'm sure they would have had plenty more to tell when he was in better health but it was such an honor to get that time with him and then i think they the one we put published the uh, interview and it went in the paper they invited me back again a few weeks later to give them the, the paper so they had the copy themselves <laughs> and again i was sat there for another hour just chatting with them having a catch-up like i was one of the family um such a shame to lose any of the any of these legends but roger was a gent the fact that it's sir roger and he never wanted the knighthood himself. You know how much he's loved by Liverpool fans. And the fact that we're having this conversation about him now, when he, what he was doing for the club, we're talking 60-odd years ago. None of us have seen him play, and we still know how important he is to the club. It shows what a gent he was, and he will be sadly missed. And glad that Anfield can honour him properly on Sunday, and hopefully it can be with a, a fitting win against uh, title rivals. Yeah, I'm sure it will be an emotional occasion. The sad passing of Roger Hunt, a true Liverpool legend. We will move on to Manchester City now, Gorsty. We did hear from Jurgen Klopp a little bit earlier in the day. There wasn't a great deal in there that we didn't know about. There's obviously no illusions from the Liverpool side of things as to how big a challenge Manchester City will be. But Jurgen Klopp seemingly quite confident that if Liverpool play well, Liverpool can win this one. Yeah, very much so. I think um, there was a couple of things that give the game away a little bit on Tuesday. He spoke to BT Sports and he said, you know, looking forward to Sunday with the fans back in. <clears throat> and then he said it again in, in the press conference that we were in. Um, and it just it just made me think, <clears throat> you know, I think you were a little bit little bit stung by what happened in February. Obviously losing that game 4-1, um, quite a heavy defeat, wasn't it? Um, no fans in there to help. It was at a time when Liverpool were, were injury hit, they were confidence drained and Right slap bang in the middle of that six game, you know, losing streak. 
So I think they know that this weekend they've got a chance to put that right and they're going to need the fans in there to play the part. And I think they've proven before that when the fans are up for it and Anfield is, Anfield, you know, all the cliches that you like to use with Anfield that it massively um, affects Manchester City. I think they've um, proven that time and again. I think Liverpool have won five of the seven games that they played there. Klopp v Guardiola and the only one they've lost was that one as I say in February when there was no fans there so um, it's not a myth, it's not just something that gets brought up, it's very tangible and you can see that in the results and I think Klopp can't wait for this game again with the um, kind of bells and whistles of the supporters and whatever else and um, it's going to be a, another fascinating contest and if Liverpool come flying out the blocks then um, think he can go away with a massive scalp in, in the title race. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It was put to me earlier on, Theo, by a Manchester City fan that Klopp's only actually won one of the last seven against Pep Guardiola. But I did a, a little bit of research into that. That does include the Community Shield, which I'm not quite sure whether that's a, a proper game or not. It includes the game a couple of days after Liverpool had begun uh, their Premier League title celebrations. And of course, it includes both matches of last season where there were no fans. So Probably a, a little bit more even than that record suggests, but it does sort of underline the task that, that Liverpool have got this weekend. Yeah, I was, I'm writing a piece on it, actually, just before we started recording this podcast, that it's not been a particularly kind fixture to Liverpool in recent memory. And you can include um, missing out on the league title by, what, 11 millimetres at the Etihad as well into that. But this will be the first proper Liverpool-Man City game since the Fabinho screener and that 3-1 which basically made Liverpool champions-elect, even though it was only like October at the time. And Liverpool sent out that massive statement. Uh, we know how big the rivalry is between Liverpool and Man City and how much respect's there between the two parties. But we've almost been robbed of seeing them properly go at it head-to-head, have we? haven't we? Like, you think we had the one year where there was one point in it. They both went for it. It was great to see. when They just went half a season unbeaten. Neither of them blinked and City ended up winning the league. But then when Liverpool won the league, you know, City were miles off it. When City won the league last year, Liverpool were miles off it. You just want that return to a proper rivalry, proper football. And that's what we should hopefully get this weekend. But fans are back there. It's going to be that really heated, passionate atmosphere. It's going to feel almost like a European game, isn't it? You think, oh, if Raheem Sterling starts, we know there's going to be that added spice there. And it's going to be a case of Liverpool have a point to prove because... But they'll be hurting that they didn't win the title last year. And granted, it was for reasons that were out of their control. But they've not had a chance to prove that this is a great team. They've shown that they can win a Champions League and a Premier League, but they've not been able to build on that because of the pandemic. And then it's become this situation now where players are starting to leave or starting to age. And it's like, well, how much can this current team achieve? If they can beat Man City and do it in what we've seen before, like the 3-1 victory when they went on to win the league, it shows they are very much this great side and it'd be such a blow to Man City because we've already seen Pep being a little bit rattled so far this season. They've dropped a couple of silly points. Granted, Liverpool did against Brentford last weekend, but it's one where you want Liverpool to go out and show, right, yes, let's put a line under everything that's happened in the past 18 months and pick up exactly where they left off from winning that Premier League title because as we're talking about these players, like it doesn't matter whether it's a reserve right back in James Milner against his former club or Mohamed Salah. They've all got a point to prove and they all want to show that they're the very best and when they 
kind of time comes from to hang up their boots. It's not one Premier League title and one Champions League title to their names. It's three and four. Yeah, fans will make a, a huge difference, Gorsty, in this one. And it's going to be a very different game to what we saw at Anfield last season as well, in that the centre-backs are going to be very different for Liverpool. It's a very different Alisson Becker in goal. What are you expecting from the game, though? Are you expecting it to be tight and, and cagey, or might we see another of those 4-3 big battles, loads of goals? It's all fun, that, isn't it? Um, I didn't actually see Chelsea against Manchester City last week because of travelling to Brentford. I've only seen the highlights. But um, that was an impressive performance from City, I believe. Um, Chelsea, though, Liverpool aren't going to have that same game plan, are they? Liverpool are never going to, especially at home, they're never going to be content to come out and be a bit cagey and keep men behind the ball and look to break where they can. I think Liverpool are going to come out um, and they're going to try and go full throttle. Um, and the question is, can Man City kind of withstand the heat? Um, so I think that is, is pretty much the big question of Sunday. Because I don't think there's going to be any kind of um, secrecy about how Liverpool are going to approach it. Obviously, you know Trent is, is a massive blow, but I still think Liverpool are going to come out and, and they're going to, going to have the crowd on their side and, and they're going to try and flick the switch and you know, we've seen it in 2019, didn't we, when Liverpool raced into the 3-0 lead, sooner or half time. Um, <clears throat> I think they will try and, and repeat something like that. And then it's it's where the City <clears throat> have got the uh, the fortitude to stand up to it. And that, for me, I think is the big question because um, City are fine when the going's on their side and <clears throat> they can kind of beat teams into submission. And, and if they get an early goal and a second early goal, it's normally a comfortable day at the office for them isn't it but when when things tend to go against them and what bit of luck isn't on their side they never really seem to pull one out the fire do they you know you look at when they were drawing with Southampton a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> with about 25 minutes to go 20 minutes to go you just knew they weren't going to get a late a late winner it's not really in their makeup is it they either win comfortably three or four or even five as they've done a couple of times already this season or they, um, they struggle to you know, nick a late winner. So, um, yeah, it's going, it's going to be fascinating. Um, and it's, um, you know, the Chelsea game was great, wasn't it? You know, in terms of atmosphere and that felt like a big occasion. But I think um, I think this one's going to feel even bigger, to be honest. Jurgen Klopp referenced before just how good City were against Chelsea, Theo. And when Chelsea came to Anfield, I was really impressed with how they played, to be honest. So, what do you make of the sort of title battle so far? There was a kind of narrative to begin with that Chelsea might be the favourites, then maybe last weekend changed that. Maybe this weekend could change that again. What do you make of, of what you've seen so far? Um, I think it's still far too early to call, just because any of the big three, Liverpool, City and uh, Chelsea, could win this title. Like, on their day, all of them can beat any of the others that can win, beat anyone in, in the league, anyone in Europe. They are such strong sides and they've got strength all across the pitch. Uh, Lukaku was a game-changing transfer, I think, for Chelsea. It gives them that big goal scorer that can get them any goals and win them games. Like They can still sit deep, defend, and you know how good they are defensively. I think I said it on podcast before. The only thing you wonder about them is when will the attacking midfielders step up to that next level? There's not saying that Pulisic or Mason Mount or Kai Havertz are bad players. They're really good players, but they're not at Mohamed Salah's level. They're not at Sadio Mane's level. And it's like when those players behind Lukaku can get to that level, that's when Chelsea are real contenders. And then with City, 
it's one where they always find a way to win. They always find a way to do it, but they still look like they're lacking that striker. It was all very well spending a hundred million on Jack, Gre- Jack Grealish, and I know he's been pretty much ever present so far this season. But when you look at the players they're leaving out for him, it's like we didn't necessarily need him. Like you've still got Sterling, you've still got Bernardo Silva, you've still got Riyad Mahrez. They've got so many good options. Phil Foden's now back from injury. If they had gone out and got the striker, if they'd managed to get a Lukaku, for example, you'd say, well, that's them as favourites. And then you look at Liverpool, it's like, well, we know their starting eleven is one of the best, if not the best, in the Premier League. The only question was depth. And then this year, looking at it, they've got the depth. The only reason you've had doubts about it in the past is because the depth has been taken away through injuries. Yeah, they've had a couple of knocks so far, but they're looking solid. They're looking on form. They're looking confident. It's just about getting these points in these big games. Chelsea still feels like a missed opportunity when Liverpool are playing against 10 men. If they'd managed to get a victory in that game, we'd be talking about them three points clear. And if they could beat City, that's six points clear of City going into a national break. They can't lose the same opportunity against City now because if City can get this win at Anfield, that is a massive statement. And you say, oh, if they can win at Anfield they, against Anfield when it's the fans back, they can win anywhere. And you'd say they're favourites, having got that victory against Chelsea away last week. But then Liverpool, well, if they get the win, they're the ones in the driving seat. They're the ones with the advantage at the top of the table. We know how important that was for them two years ago. But it's still wide open. We're talking about this in October now and there are many twists and turns left to go. It's one where I think even Guardiola in his press conference today said, you're not counting United anymore. Granted, they've had a few sticky weeks, but uh, never right off a side with the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo. And you never know, they might have a new manager and a new manager bounce within a couple of months as well. Yeah, that could certainly be an interesting one. It's been a big week for City, Gorsty, in terms of Chelsea last weekend, PSG midweek and then Liverpool. It may not prove to be the case, but there is a a bit of a question mark in my head for maybe the last 20 minutes on Sunday. There might be something of a bit of fatigue maybe for for Liverpool to to get out. I know they've got a big squad, but weeks don't get much bigger than Chelsea, PSG and then a trip to Anfield. No, they don't do they. And um, I was thinking this could be a bit of a make or break week for City um, and then they beat Chelsea and you think, okay, really good result for them, kind of brings them back into the before because I think if they'd have lost that, um, you know, obviously they're still in the, in the title race, but <clears throat> just would have made things a whole lot more difficult coming to Liverpool where they traditionally haven't got a good record. Then they get beat by PSG and you're thinking, okay, mixed bag so far. So it's, will they consider it a good week or a bad week at six o'clock on Sunday afternoon? That's the big question for City, isn't it? Um yeah, I, I can see your point about about the fatigue possibly setting in because the, none of those games have they been able to rest legs and take it easy and whatever else. You can obviously make the five subs in the Champions League. I'm not I'm not too sure if they did or not the other night, but um, they were well in that game against PSG from what I've seen. Obviously, just a bit of genius from, from the little fella Messi turned the PSG's way after the, the early goal from Adrissa Gay, but... Um, it wasn't a um, wasn't a game where they were comfortable losers. They were they were well in that game, and if they put in a similar performance at Anfield on Sunday, Liverpool obviously going to have the hands full. Uh, so we're expecting that anyway. But um, yeah, I, I think I think the, the fatigue issue could be could be a factor. Liverpool obviously had the game won after fifty minutes, didn't they? Fifty five minutes on Tuesday. So um, two very contrasting um, results coming into this one on Sunday and. 
Yeah, I'm, I can't wait for it. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be one of those games where you, you know you're reminded of, of why you why you, you do this job, why you watch football, why you love football. Because I think for far too long we haven't really been able to um, to do that too often, have we? You know, with the behind closed doors model and, and the shambles of, of pretty much everything last season, from the injuries to the VAR to the no fans. So um, yeah, th- this will be a, a timely reminder for why. Uh, why we all watch the game and, and then we're off for, for two weeks for the international break. Yes, uh, an untimely international break, certainly. It was uh, only the two subs that City made midweek against PSG, but they were in that game by all accounts. I think they outshot PSG by about three, four times. So obviously a decent performance from them, but we'll see how it pans out at Anfield. Just before we finish, we will pick our teams for the game. We know that Alison Becker will be in goal. I'm going to presume, Gorsty, that James Milner will be at right back. Is there an argument for, for anybody else there, do you think? And, and how else would you line up with the, the rest of that back four? No, I don't think so. Um, Nico Williams is back in training, isn't he? Joe Gomez came on for Milner and right back, but uh, I'd be a little worried if either of those were starting on Sunday. I think Klopp was very reluctant not to to give that one away straight away and, and let Klopp, uh, let Guardiola have that one. You know, you know, Milner starting, but you'd be hard pushed to to think the Klopp's going to spring a surprise with a Nico Williams or a, or a Joe Gomez when you're given that Milner's performed so well so far against Zaha and, and Diaz. So um, yeah, Milner starting at right back. And the rest of of your back four does that pick itself? Do you think in in terms of Matip, Van Dijk, and, and Robertson? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great to look at the options now, isn't it? <clears throat> if you were to say, for example, that you're going to bring Gomez in for for Matip, you, you wouldn't really blink. If you were to say that Simakas can come in for Robertson, okay, you might still think Robertson is the main man there, and he is, but Simakas has proven this season that he can do a passable impression. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice just to have those options, but I do still think it will be an unchanged back five um, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, nice little bit of momentum to, to lead into that. I thought Robertson was was pretty good, actually, midweek. Theo, are you in agreement with the, the back four? Yeah, I think so. It would be very harsh to take James Miller out of this team. And it's one where maybe two, three years ago, it was the sort of game where Klopp would put Joe Gomez at right back. But that was when Liverpool were challengers. Now they're more than challengers. Now they've got those trophies to the name. Now they've got that faith. They're not trying to catch up with Manchester City you can have faith in what you're doing without having to go a slightly more defensive. And James Milner, like I said earlier, always wants to prove a point against Man City. So I think he keeps that spot. There's that slight doubt of Van Dijk and Matip playing three games in a week, but Matip has got an international break off at the end of it. And Van Dijk is going to get back to full steam at some point. Maybe this will be that sign that those cobwebs are definitely off. And now Virgil van Dijk is fully back and Robertson, we know what he's capable of. He's not had as good a start to the season as he'd have liked, but it was more promising from him midweek. So I'd go along with the same back four. Um, as Gorsley said, you wouldn't have any fears if it was Simicast or if it was Gomez at centre-back or anything like this. But stick with the tried and trusted. They might have shipped three against Brentford, but you can't see them um, having a, as bad an off day against Man City as they did against Brentford, even if they still ship three. That would just be a quality on show, won't it? A sign of a good game. In terms of the midfield then, Jurgen Klopp did suggest a possible formation change earlier on. I'm not quite sure how likely that might be, but I'm going to go with, with Curtis Jones in there with Fabinho and, and Jordan Henderson. And 
to be honest, I'd be surprised, Gorsty, if if that wasn't what Klopp went with ultimately. Yeah, I think so. He was teasing a bit of a formation switch, wasn't he? And if you think back to that game of the Etihad in November last year, he went four two three one, didn't he? Um, and played all four of his main attackers, which I think would have caught Guardiola off guard quite a lot. And the still started well that day. He had a few chances. Obviously, went one and up with the the penalty. But I just can't see it on it on Sunday. I, I do think he will keep with the three in the midfield. And and to be fair, you can't you can't take Jones out. Um, I mean, you probably can't anyway because the options are so thin on the ground. But um, after a performance like that, you know, if, if you can't keep your place, then it's um, it's incredibly harsh. So yeah, Fabinho, Henderson, you know, keeping it solid, and then uh, Jones left to Rome, I think. I suppose the only other option there would be possibly Naby Keita. He didn't play midweek, but he is back from injury now. But it would seem a, a bit of a, a risk to throw him in instead of Curtis Jones after what happened on Tuesday. Yeah, you're not taking out your captain and you're not taking out Fabinho. Curtis Jones is in form, so you let him keep the place. The same as when Harvey Elliott was in form, you let him keep the place. Um, granted, there was that formation change hints, but if you look at the midfield from that day, Fabinho was out injured, wasn't he? So it was uh, when Aldam and Henderson is the two. And on the bench, it would have been, what, Milner and Cater, Jones. So that was a lack of options. Uh, granted, it's a, a change in defence that might even prompted this hint. But when you've got Fabinho there, you play three, don't you? Like You trust him to look after it all on his own. And then Henderson and probably Jones are going to be the ones unleashed further forward. Um, with Sinjur, Curtis Jones can sure hit a ball. It'd be nice if he can pull out an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain-esque strike against City, wouldn't it, in front of the cup? Yeah, it absolutely would. And I think that the front three is, is an interesting one as well, Gorsty. There's probably one certainty in terms of Mohamed Salah. In terms of the other two spots, I'd be tempted to go with Firmino and Jota and maybe take Sadio Mane out. But Mane does, of course, have a, a pretty decent record against Manchester City. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't believe in Mane out. The, the issue is Firmino and Jota, as it probably is going to be most weeks now, isn't it? Um I don't know, Firmino looks sharp when he comes on. He obviously took his two goals quite well. Um, that would have done wonders for his confidence, I think. So, yeah, I think I think it might be time for Jota to, to have a little bit of a rest. And if needed, he's uh, he's in reserve because it's not a, not a bad sub to have if you need a, an attacker coming on, is it? So, um, yeah, I'll go with Firmino and Mane. Yeah, Jota, probably the, the most effective off the bench, Theo. Does that play into to your thinking or do you want him from the start in this one? No, I'd go along with the traditional front three. Um, for me, Firmino is still first choice. It's just because of injuries, perhaps, and coming back late from the Copper America that he hasn't had his place so far this season. But he looks sharp in pre-season. He was sharp on the opening day against Norwich. Got that injury at the wrong time, but then he's just picked up against Porto. Uh, he, he's good for these sorts of games against City. It's when he comes up to the occasion, isn't it? He loves playing in front of that Anfield crowd with the atmosphere. He's a big man for the big occasions. And it's one where you, you can trust him to get the job done. Um, and we've had these doubts about his goal-scoring record before. But if he's got, what, three already this season, he's been limited to mainly substitute roles, might suggest he's got that hunger back in front of goal. And Majota, yeah, he's not been at his best the last couple of games. He, probably should have scored in midweek he was a little bit wasteful and he's had a couple of games like that he is more in, make does make more of an impact off the bench 
And that's been what Liverpool have perhaps lacked against Man City in the past. They've come out the traps flying. They've absolutely stormed it for the first 35 minutes, quieting down going into half-time. But then they haven't had that body to throw on to give it that final kick, that killer punch in the final 20-30 minutes. And that's where Jota could be really useful here. If you've had your traditional front three tiring out the City defence and then you're throwing him on knowing, oh, he's going to win any header because he even he always finds a way of getting on the end of stuff in the box. And it may give him point to prove as well. We can't take it for granted that he's first choice in this Liverpool team anymore. So, yeah, back to the, the tried and trusted. They've done it against City before. Oh, let them do it again. It's the same as they did against Porto. Granted, they weren't together. All of them scored against Porto. haven't always done it. It'll be the same against City if we're lucky. Yeah, plenty of decisions to be made then for Jurgen Klopp. And we'll see which one of us, if any of us, has got that team right on Sunday. Just before we go, we'll do our usual match predictions. I'm going to go, I think, for a 2-1 Liverpool win. I do fancy the Anfield crowd to help the Reds over the line. And I'm pretty sure Mohamed Salah will be on the score sheet again. Gorsty, what do you reckon the scoreline might be? Liverpool have been in great form, haven't they? Scoring loads. Um, 20 goals across September. Yeah, I'll go with a 2-1. Deal? Deal? How do you reckon? Before we started recording, I was going to say one all, but I think you've, you've got me positive now, feeling positive and got confidence in him again, so I think I'd go for a 2-1 as well. But that first goal is going to be huge. That will decide whether it's a game where Liverpool can go and be at their very best or if it's going to be a nitty-gritty draw. Yes, pumped up after the podcast. That's what we like to see. We'll have all of the reaction to the game, of course, across the Echo Liverpool.com and the Blood Red channel. But from myself, Matt Addison, Paul Gorst, and Theo Squires, it's goodbye for now. This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.